In the name of Jesus, amen. May we see then. Dear saints, dear Jordan and Laura, and most especially dear Josephine, grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Josephine, a long time ago, long before you took your first breath, long before your parents saw your face, long before God knit you together in your mother's womb, Jesus knew you, and he loved you, and he was determined to save you and die for you and take away all of your sins. So Josephine, he chose you. God dedicated himself to you. He devoted himself, life, and limb to you. He overcame every temptation and obstacle that was set before him, and he let nothing get in his way of him laying his life down for you. And today, Josephine, in this font, you received everything that Jesus achieved on the cross for you. The forgiveness of every single sin that you will ever sin in this life, the Lord has wiped away already. You now have what Jesus died to give you, and you are baptized into his name, and he saved you from the hell that you and I rightly deserve, and to you, he has given the kingdom of heaven forever. And just as this is true for Josephine, the smallest one among us, this is true for all of you, who are baptized into Christ. That Jesus died for all of you too. But I want you to know that there were many who tried to prevent that from happening. To prevent Jesus from going to his cross. And today, this Sunday of Transfiguration is one of those times. There were many who tried to prevent Jesus from suffering and dying and laying his life down for Josephine And for all of you, in order for you to really understand what's happening on the Mount of Transfiguration today, you have to understand the context. And the gospel lesson begins by saying this. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Now, the question is, after six days of what? What's the six days that it's counting from? Well, six days before, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, he replies, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's a beautiful confession. And he's right. This is exactly what the the answer is. But then the verses continue. And the following verses say this, from that time of that confession... Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then the Bible says, and Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. And he rebuked him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen. To which Jesus replies, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, 
a stumbling block to me because you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So do you see this? Peter confesses Jesus to be the Christ, and this is great, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, all right, now I must suffer many things and be killed. And Peter rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus rebukes Peter for trying to prevent him from doing what he set out to do, which is to suffer and die. And then the text continues by saying this. Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, not only am I going to suffer, but those who follow me and who bear my name will suffer. Now, Matthew 16 ends. Now we get to verse one of Matthew 17, and it says this, and after six days. So that's the context. Six days from that interaction, from that conversation, now is the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus brings Peter, James, and John with him up to, to the top of a mountain, and the Bible says Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face was shining like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And what we think is happening here is that Jesus is revealing his divinity through his humanity, that he's allowing the majesty that he always had, even since the moment of his birth, to simply shine forth. And since birth, he had been hiding or restrained, refraining from showing this majesty. But now it's as if he lets it go and reveals himself uh, as he is in his splendor to his disciples. Now, while he was transfigured, the Bible says that Moses and Elijah were there too with him. And Matthew doesn't tell us what they were talking about, but Luke does. So the gospel of Luke does. And this is what it says. Luke says, they spoke, that is Moses, Jesus, and Elijah. They're there speaking. They spoke about Jesus' departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. In Greek, the word there for departure is exodus. They were talking about Jesus' exodus, his way out. In other words, Jesus and Moses and Elijah were talking about Jesus' suffering and death while they were on the Mount of Transfiguration, which is the very thing that Peter did not want him to be talking about at the foot of the mountain before. So Peter hears this, and so as they're talking, Peter joins the conversation, and then Peter says these words. He says, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, when you first read these words, Peter's request uh, sounds pious enough. He says, it's good that, we're, that we are here in the presence of God. But in context, what you've seen happen in the past week there, you see what Peter's trying to do again, don't you? Peter says, Lord, it is good for us to be here as opposed to down there. As opposed to all of that suffering and you talking about going to Jerusalem and being uh, uh, tortured and crucified. Let's build homes here. I'll build you a tent and we can stay here on the top of the mountain. We'll keep heaven on earth here. Let's stay here. We won't go back to Jerusalem. Let them figure it out. And so Peter is then again trying to avoid the cross. 
again. And he's trying to prevent his own suffering and his own cross. And then the text says that while Peter is still talking, God from heaven cuts him off. He interrupts him and he stops him from talking. And verse five says, Peter was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Why does he say that? Because Peter was not listening to him. He has been saying the whole reason that he came was to suffer and die on the cross. And Peter's trying to avoid it. He's putting things before his way to to avoid that. And then the, the, the Lord from heaven rips open the skies and says, listen to him. Listen to what Jesus is saying. And when this happened, they fell on their knees and they were afraid. They, they were, fell on their faces and they were afraid. So we see in the scriptures that Peter tried to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. John the Baptist tried to prevent Jesus from being baptized. The devil tried to prevent Jesus from going to the cross by trying to give him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. In John chapter 6, after Jesus feeds the 5,000 with a few pieces of bread, the crowd tried to prevent Jesus from going to the cross by trying to make Jesus their king by force. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter pulls out a sword and tries to defend Jesus to keep him from what? from going to the cross and dying. Even while Jesus was on the cross, the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, they went to Jesus and they mocked him saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. So let him come down now from the cross and then we will believe in him. There, there is one place that our sinful hearts don't want to see Jesus, the Lord. And that is on his cross. This, this was the great temptation that Jesus faced throughout his entire life. The temptation to avoid his cross and his suffering. In fact, the world mocks Jesus for suffering and dying. They call God a weak God for having bled and died on the cross. Our hearts are naturally like Peter in that we expect the crown without the cross or life without death or glory without suffering. But the thing is, is that Jesus knows that glory comes precisely through his suffering by means of it. The Bible, then the Bible says that Jesus set his face like a flint to Jerusalem. In other words, he would not be overcome by any temptation to abandon his cross, his suffering. He wouldn't find a way out or a way to alleviate his suffering. And the glory that Peter wanted on that mountain is the glory that Jesus suffered for on Mount Calvary. This is what we sing about in the hymn, Rejoice, O Rejoice, Ye Christians, Loudly. Verse 2 says it this way. See, my soul, thy Savior chooses weakness here and poverty 
In such love he comes to thee, neither crib nor cross refuses all he suffers for thy good to redeem thee by his blood. In other words, Jesus was determined to save you, even if it cost him his life, to make you his, to forgive you all of your sins. And he let no amount of money or glory or peace or fame or comfort get in his way. He was determined to lay his life down for you and to make you his forever. Now, that's the first point in the sermon, uh, that for you, Jesus would not and did not turn away from his cross and his suffering because he loved you. But I want you to learn something else, that the devil and the world and our own sinful flesh not only try to keep Jesus from carrying his cross, but they try even now to keep you from carrying yours. Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And this means giving up what we want most to keep what God has said, which oftentimes brings pain. Now, I want to be clear here. Jesus is talking about pain and suffering, but he's not talking about any pain and suffering. He's talking about the pain and suffering that comes on account of being a Christian. And there's a great temptation that we face in the midst of our suffering. Now, the temptation for Jesus and his pain is to simply, what? To make his pain go away, right? To avoid it. He had the power at any moment to simply snap his fingers and make it all go away. So his temptation is to give up his suffering. But if he did that, then he would have to give us up. He would lose us. Now our cross, we have a cross too, but our cross is different because we don't have the power to make our suffering end. Everyone in this life suffers, Christians and heathens alike, and there's no way to make it go away. So the temptation that we face is not the temptation to to, uh, snap our fingers and make the suffering go away. The temptation we face is to give up Christ in the midst of our suffering. So when Jesus suffered, his temptation was to give us up. And when we suffer, our temptation is to give him up, to lose lose hope and to despair. So just for instance, cancer, as bad as that is for everyone, it is not a cross for everyone. It may be a burden for others, but it can only be a cross for the Christian. Uh, And and cancer can become a cross when the Christian is tempted to think these thoughts, when he's enticed by these, uh, these thoughts and these words. If God loves me, then why do I have cancer? Why am I suffering? Every Christian suffers, but our suffering becomes a cross when we're tempted to turn away from Jesus. So when you're in the midst of suffering and others say to you, look, uh, I thought you were a Christian. If you have a God, then how come he's not helping you? Why isn't he healing you? If God loves you as much as he says, then why doesn't he take all of your problems away? Uh, You're not only suffering, but you're enduring this attack from the devil. Now, the temptation is to think that since you're suffering, God has abandoned you and he's forsaken you. And Jesus calls all of this a persecution and a temptation 
uh, this temptation, not a struggle or a burden, but a cross. In other words, he joins your temptation to his and your suffering to his. And he's saying that he joins your pain to his. Now, quickly, uh, as we're getting close to the end of the sermon, I know this doesn't sound like good news. That your pain won't go away and your suffering won't disappear. But it is. And this is because even if you don't see the purpose of or usefulness of your pain, God has a purpose and use for it. And that means not one second of sorrow, not an ounce of your suffering is in vain. Just as Jesus wasn't in vain. And if God turns the suffering of Jesus into the greatest glory the world has seen, then he will use your suffering for good. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Okay. Now, I'm saying all of this because... Uh, because as you know, Laura, you know the pain of childbearing and you know it to a far greater degree than most mothers. You know the effects of sin and how much suffering has come into the world because of it. You know how tempting it is to despair and how tempting it is to doubt God's will in the midst of suffering and to wonder while you are suffering in anguish and misery to wonder if God even thinks of me or if he cares. So you know a pain more than most. But you also know that God did not for a second leave you in that pain. And that he was with you every moment taking care of you. You know that even though he gave you a heavy cross to carry, he gave you the strength to carry it. And you made it through. And God brought through that suffering a blessed end. And Jordan, you know how much sweat had to come off of your brow to work for daily bread. You know the effort and the toil to make a living, uh, to care for Laura, to help in the church, to maintain all these things together. And yet you also know that God did not fail to give you what you needed for this body and life, that he sustained you through it all. And I say all of this because, Josephine, at some point, you are going to endure pain and suffering too, as we all do. One day, sorrow will fill your heart. And when that day comes, no matter the reason, I don't want you for a second to think that God has abandoned you or forsaken you or imagine that he's angry with you somehow. You heard in your baptism that he has wiped away your sins and he is not angry with you. And I don't want you to think that something strange is happening to you. I want you to remember your father and your mother and learn from them how to bear your cross patiently, whichever cross that is that the Lord gives you, and learn from them to trust that God gives you the strength to endure whatever weighs you down. And I want you to learn from them to look to Jesus and see him bear his cross for you. 
and see that he joined your suffering to his so that you would share his glory forever. Dear saints and dear Jordan and Laura and Josephine, may God bless you on this great and glorious day. God has given you every reason to rejoice. You, your God has redeemed you. He has washed away all of your sin from your body and your soul. He took on flesh and he suffered to redeem you from your suffering and bring a blessed end at last. So dear saints, no matter what cross you bear, bear it patiently and faithfully and wait eagerly for that glorious day when your dear Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will wipe your tears away and cover you in a weight of unending and undying glory and when he will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.